the tattoo preacher. What up? Hi, Bo. Bo, you're like staring at me. It's weird. What was that? I felt like like a like a piece of fillet or something on the grill over there. What's up, everybody? We had a we had a perfect day today, an absolutely perfect day. We got a lot done today, didn't we, Marshall? What did we get done? No, just stay there. I don't want you to get up. Break a sweat. What's up? What's up? What's up? So I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Um, we got everybody in here. We got uh, we got all these newbies in here. We have a packed house. It's really warm. We had to actually had to turn the air conditioner on. It smells like reptile in here, though. Thanks to thanks to Phil. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna have to deal with that. But uh, first, we want to thank sponsors. Our main sponsor, Soul Constructors. Give it up for Soul Constructors. Y'all y'all need anything done outside? You know, lots of concrete. We got two concrete guys here now with, with, yeah. with Jimmy here. Jimmy, where's two Jimmys here now? What are we going to do about that? Oh, we got, okay, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. James and James and Jimmy. But we're going to have to come up with a name for James. That's not going to work for me, your regular name. So then we got, if you need concrete work, you need any fab work, you want to say anything, Bill, about your soul fabrication work? You going to put the camera on him? Yeah, come on, Clint. <laughs> uh, we Look at the camera. I can't look at the camera. <laughs> I can't look at them all. We've been working on some handrail lately. It's been really cool. Uh, staying busy. We got like three different fab jobs going on kind of all around the same time. Um, and we're always looking for more jobs, handrail, uh, really anything. We did a ladder, a fixed ladder for Redners. Mm -hmm. um, so everything's been going smoothly for us. It's been working out. Things are picking up. Yep. It all started with art. Yep. Are you going to make any more art anytime soon? Yeah. I know I know. there's a lot of people out there. There's three people in the last week that said, is Bo making any more art? Because we we loved it. I got something We loved the up. panda. He I said, everybody <laughs> said they loved the guinea pig panda. Well, we're going we're gonna to post it for sale, though. <laughs> uh, we, need, we need to post that one really soon. That's a big piece. Which one? That one, that cool oh, that's one. mine now. Oh, you like that one? No. Where you go ahead and get her posted. <laughs> maybe go. maybe yeah, this we'll be, week. We'll be making more, and if anybody has requests, just let us know. Did you say we're making s'mores right more away? You s'mores. Yes. Man, it's about <laughs> food all the time, isn't it? Well, but Bo's doing a great job in here fabricating ladders, railing, anything you need fabricated. Soul Fab, Bo's got you. Any drywall remodeling. Joe's a plumber now this week. Joe has. You, you've been a lot lately, Joe, haven't you? And how do you, how are you enjoying yourself? Yeah. yeah, everybody's doing a really good job. So anybody needs a job out there, like anything, need anything done around the house or commercially, give us a call. They're the sponsor, Soul Constructors. It pays our, if you don't, if you've never tuned in here, Soul Constructors pays the way for everybody here. It's the, uh, it's how we are funded. It's our nonprofit where we, we, uh, we go to work to be responsible for our own recovery. We don't get mommy, daddy, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, uh, sugar mama, none of that, right? Right? None of that. We 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 make it our own way, and we and we got to do it on our own this time, right? We we we've, we've used up everybody. So uh, Soul Constructors helps us with that. We work for our recovery. Um, what else do we got to talk about? We got to talk about the newbies in the house. Everybody say say hi to to uh, Ventura. 
I didn't I didn't get a new name for Gavin yet. I only have I only have Jesse's name venture. So wave to everybody. Wave to everybody over there, Jesse. What's up? <laughs> Gavin's over there. He can you put one gun? Can you bring one gun up into the camera? <laughs> That's I knew you would do that for us, Gavin. Gavin's been here two days. He already fits right in. I love it. And then you got and then you got James. All thankful to be here. You gonna wave? What's up? So we, we got we got a packed house here, and we're thankful to help everybody we can. We're we're thankful that it's it's a family here. It's a, <laughs> he's over there kissing his biceps. Uh, we are we are super super thankful to uh, have the opportunity to change, and I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, it's a big mission. What's what's the mission here, Pat? You gotta say it into the mic. Change. That's right, change. And this is this is the in the house podcast. So you get to see everybody, you get to talk to everybody, you get to say hi. The other thing I want to talk about quick before we bring my buddy Phil O'Hara in, the uh, the horse jockey, that's what I call him, uh, because he's a little short. Is sick recovery racing is back on? Like Jimmy, um, get get Jimmy a mic here, and get Jimmy and and Ventura a mic here. Jesse Ventura, <clears throat> have we committed again? to a proper training program you're the spokesperson jimmy says you um yeah we've been i've been slacking lately but trying mm -hmm. to get back on track now what's that the bunny suit the bikini oh man so what's the what did you, did you guys come up with a with a, a proper training program like what what days and what what's going to happen over the next two weeks um <laughs> Basically, well, I talked to you. We're going to do at least 45 minutes of intense mm -hmm. cardio mm -hmm. for the next two weeks every day. Okay. And then kind of develop something better. Yeah. Riding Tuesdays, train, riding Tuesdays and Thursdays, training for us one-on-one -on, -one on Thursdays. Yeah. <clears throat> and then if two weeks go by and you guys kill it, you earn your way. In two weeks, we could be racing. Not this weekend, but the following weekend, we could be at our first race if they earn it. So you guys, who here wants to go to a race? So put your hand up. Look at this. Every hand went up. If, do you see this right now? Do you see what you're responsible for? You can bring Phil in. Um, you can, he can listen to this because he likes racing. Um, you could be responsible for everybody getting to go to a race. How, how do you feel about that pressure, Jimmy, right now? Um, really, when I look at it, it's a blessing. Good. It's, Good. you know, it's, I have a chance to, you know, help other people and, you know, help the community as a whole. Yeah. So it's, I really just need to take that as a, a blessing. The other part is, is that this is something we've talked about before. You have trouble staying consistent with it, right? You've always absolutely. struggled. And yeah, dude, absolutely. this isn't something that has anything to do with substance. A lot of guys that are racing motorcycles have trouble staying really consistent in training. So it's hard. Like moto training is, is, is in, in my opinion, like the, the top, Man, MMA is pretty hardcore too. Like the top two things to to get in shape and to and to keep at it. So uh, <clears throat> I'm I'm pumped that you have you have now this this uh, this young fellow next to you from your from from the same area. Nevadians. I have another Nevadian. That's what I call him because it makes it sounds crazy. <laughs> I had Gardner here. I don't know that I can handle any more Nevadians if after after all three of these. Okay. <laughs> Jesse actually grew up, and 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 Jimmy, you you knew Jamie from being back there, right? Uh, yeah. I knew of him. Yeah, but yeah. you didn't ever get to race with him or anything. You're no, you're a bit younger. Yeah. So it's cool that you two are here together. 
from from kind of the same era area and um i think it's uh i think it's going to be awesome so sick recovery is looking for sponsorship pat said how many bikes do we need pat how many bikes do we need jimmy no no, that's not me for me to determine. <laughs> I like that. Jesse, how many bikes do we need? I mean, you've, you've been what, – what are you thinking over there? Uh, I'm thinking for the races, we're going to need at least two each. Okay. <laughs> to get through the season, a to practice bike and a race bike. Exactly. Is everybody racing 450 class or what? What, what did you guys decide on that? You, I'll race whatever. Well, what do you want to race? What do you like racing? Uh, 250 and 450. I love both. So. Okay. 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 What do you, what about you over there, Venture? You know, I just love the rides. So you don't prefer I, either. I don't prefer keeping a 250 either. together is really tough though. Isn't keeping it guys? A 250 together is yeah. Difficult. Yeah. I'd say rock the, I'd, I'd rock. You go 250, 450 and I'd say like, so we need, we need, we need two 450s and we need a 250, right? Two 450s and a, and a 250. Two? No, you're not getting anything. Okay. Jake's the mechanic and Joe. Or, or who else is a mechanic in here? Phil, go ahead and raise your hand. I know you're. But. <laughs> no, Phil's the accountant. <laughs> Phil's the accountant. So we're ready to have fun anyway with the, uh, with the race season. We are, we are getting ready to rock and roll. But I'm going to go out there and find everybody uh, some sponsorship. Again, we're going we're gonna to go work with some people. We're, I'm, I'm going to get it done. I'm, we're we're going to get this done, boys. And um, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a heck of a season now now that everything's kicked off. But you got to put the effort in first, right? All right, where's Phil? Phil, where you at? Do you mean stand up? Do I do you mean stand up? Oh, you were already. How you doing? Good. How are you, bro? Good. So Phil and I have connected since gosh, right in the beginning of sick recovery. Uh, Phil used, I, I don't, I don't know. I do remember seeing you, but I didn't know the connection. I didn't remember it until you told me, Phil used to work at English town, drop in the gate. Um, and, um, he then, then when I started sick recovery, Rich Trevelis came to me and said, Hey, uh, our buddy, Phil, you guys need to connect. You have a lot in common, you know, been down the wrong road, done a bunch of wrong things. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, he's, he's doing a lot of good right now and he's, he's working in, in treatment and, uh, we connected and, and we've been, we've been buddies ever since, man. It was a, it was a good connection there. And that was Daytona the first time I met you. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. And we drove up to Daytona. I was living in Port St. Lucie at the time and uh, <clears throat> came up, met you at the track. And since then it's been pretty cool. Yeah. I've had a good time making fun of him every time yeah. I call him, dude, I've done some really cool stuff. I can't say it on here, but <laughs> he'll call me and make me help. He'll, he'll do something that knows will put me on my ass. Uh, <laughs> You know, and uh, hey, did you see this? And uh, it'll be something completely made up, but it'll put me on my hands. <laughs> yeah, fun. Um, He's fun. But yeah, real quick uh, about the whole, um, you know, how we got connected. Um, I don't want to. If I don't mean to cut you off, but it's you just know. on my on my mind to say this real quick. Uh, when I was in the part of my addiction where I wanted to change and I was trying to change is how I got thrown into the English town racetrack mix. Uh, a good friend of mine was working the gate. Um, you guys all ride motocross in there. I'm what's known as a goon. Um, I don't ride motocross. See the picture that I posted to say that he's on the show tonight. You'll, uh, you'll like that one, but he, he is a bit of a goon. And, and yeah. It's, it's so I, I, I got a job working the gate. I was an active addiction. Um, 
but you know, I had gone through a lot of a lot of trouble at that point where I was pretty well known around my area as bad news. And uh, when I got to that track and I met the Trevelisse family and I met the Harper family and the Carroll family, uh, none of them knew my history or my past and none of them knew that I was struggling. I was just the guy that showed up and ran onto the track when their kids fell and put my, myself in harm's way to, to make sure they didn't get run over by motorcycles. So I was well liked and uh, it, was, it was very important to me. I really enjoyed those races because it was like I was normal again. I wasn't just this bad kid that nobody liked. And then, uh, you know, finally, you know, I, I went and got the help I needed, needed and, and that's how I got connected with Kevin was uh, after I had gotten sober um, down at Daytona. But those days at, at, at E-Town working those races were, I think, a huge part of what pushed me to get sober is because I started to connect with people on a positive level and I wanted more of it. So, so talk about that a little bit. What, what year did you, did you get sober? You know, what, when uh, you use two, uh, 2016, I went to treatment in March of 2016. Um, I, uh, I made a, I made a phone call to, to sunrise detox in New Jersey where I had gone once before, uh, when I was 26. Uh, but I had really just gone because I was under investigation and I didn't, I didn't want to change. I just, if the cops were following me, I figured let them follow me to detox. Um, and so two years later, I finally, you know, tap out and want help. I call Sunrise. I give them my union insurance card. Uh, it turns out my Blue Cross Blue Shield policy didn't have substance abuse or mental health. Um, so I was, might as well have had no insurance. Um, I called one of my best friends from high school, a kid named Richie Bryant, who was working for a facility called Amethyst. Um, and I said, listen, you know, I'll pull my Stone Setters annuity I, you know, I, I don't know, it might take me three, three weeks to get the money, but I, I swear I'm good for it. I need help, you know, whatever I got to do to get in. And he called me back 30 minutes later and, and he said, listen, asshole, I got you a full scholarship in the treatment. All you have to do is uh, buy your plane ticket, get on a plane to Florida and do what you're told. And uh, I, uh, I got on a plane the next day. Um, I went through a, a, a 45 day partial program. Um, and uh, I got out, um, I went into sober living with IOP. At about 60 days sober, my aunt passed away in New Jersey. Um, suddenly, I had to get on a plane that night. So I was on my way to a Sunday morning men's meeting in Port St. Lucie when I got a phone call from my wrestling coach uh, who coaches my cousins as well. Um, so, you know, he was, he's very tight with our family and, and uh, he called me at 9 a.m. and I said, who died? thinking it was somebody else. And he said it was Aunt, Aunt Debbie. Um, I went into that men's meeting. I shared about it. And, uh, you know, nobody told me what to do. Nobody told me not to go home. Nobody told me to go home. They just gave me their experience. And, and uh, I called the guy that I trust down there by the name of Dan Casal. Um, I got on the phone with him. And, and, you know, he said, listen, a lot of people are going to tell you not to go home. But you're like me. It's going to kill you to not go home. So just go uh, and, and just, you know try and do your best. I was on a plane that night. And uh, by the time I landed, that mental obsession to not use drugs, but to just go somewhere, like, just to like go where there were people. So like, I went out after I left my cousin's house, I went out to a strip club that I used to work at, just to see my old friends and say hello. Uh, the following day, I went to go see somebody else. And, and I was so fragile. All it took was somebody coming into my friend's house and saying, 
I got my Adderall script and I was like, what? Somebody's got Adderall? And, uh, you know, I was like, yo, let me get some of the Adderall. And they were like, no, like you just got out of treatment. I was like, I got out of treatment for heroin. This is Adderall. You know, just give me an Adderall. Yeah, and they sure. wouldn't, <laughs> totally did, not the same. Right? <laughs> they wouldn't give it to me. And um, I, I was, you know, restless, irritable, and discontent. I could not sit there anymore once I knew they weren't going to give it to me. So in about a half hour, I left. I drove right to my boy's house. And I was like, give me a bag of heroin. Uh, he said no, and I said, listen, I'm going to punch you in the face. If you don't give me a bag of heroin, just give it to me. He gave me the bag, and I went to the bathroom, and I remember looking at the bag, um, like, thinking, like, ah, I shouldn't do this, you know, but, like, I couldn't not do it. Um, I did it. I relapsed. Uh, the first day was really good, right? The first day I relapsed, it felt great. The second day wasn't as good as the first. By the third and fourth day, I was miserable again. Um, I start Googling detection times cause like I had to fly back to Florida to get into sober living. Um, so I'm like Googling like how much time I have to wait. Um, and I, I stopped and then like the day before I had to get on a plane, I used again. So I, I whipped out my whizinator out of my closet that I had from being a construction worker. Uh, I filled it up with some fake pee. I got back down to Florida. I used fake pee to get back into uh, sober living. Um, and I told them two weeks later, um, I got a new sponsor at two weeks, you know, uh, me and Kevin both know Cindy, right? You know, Cindy, uh, Cindy's a, a therapist friend of ours. Cindy was my IOP therapist. So at two weeks, uh, clean, uh, I sat down with Cindy, uh, in a one-on-one -on -one session and I told her that I relapsed in New Jersey. Um, and I got a new sponsor. I went through the steps uh, very quickly. 30 days later, I had to go back to New Jersey to face some court charges. Um, and uh, I went to an AA meeting and my uh, a family member was there who had drugs on him. And I didn't have to punch him in the face and ask for his drugs. I was actually like, hey, dude, listen, I'll see you later. I got to go. I got in my car and I drove away from that meeting without having to ask my, my family member for drugs. And I was like, dude, what just happened? Like, did I just have the power to walk away from something? Because 30 days earlier, I didn't have that power, right. you know, and that, that was a huge experience for me because I've, I, I mean, I hated cocaine, but if cocaine was in front of me, I could not do it. You know what I mean? So to be able to, to say no to something was huge. Um, I got back down to Florida and uh, I didn't look back. Um, I got a job uh, pretty early. In I got to stop you a second to, to point out to everybody in here and, and to you, you said something really cool that. Uh, <clears throat> resonates with me because you know my whole thing that I, I believe it has nothing to do with the substance. You said after going to detox, you had to come back here, right? <clears throat> and you didn't have the urge to use. Did you guys catch that? But what he had the urge to do was run, was to escape, was to not feel the way he felt, was to try to have somebody rescue him. It was to, was to do something but what he was doing, right? He, we, we couldn't do what just, just, couldn't stay status quo. We couldn't stay on task. What I needed to do was run. And uh, I couldn't sit there and console my cousin who had just lost his mother for more than a half hour before I made up some type of excuse to just leave and go be somewhere. Right. Totally sober. Totally sober. sober. Just, just, just Nothing to do with the substance. So I'm sorry. I just needed to point that out through your story the, for, the, for these guys, especially that it's, it's, you know, I know I've heard a couple of you just say, you know, like I, I get we, we've all gone. A lot of us have gone through this multiple times, but we but we don't deal with ourselves enough and change within and transform to be able to deal with life. 
So when life hits us a little hard, you know, we run, we escape. We don't want to feel this way. I don't like this. It's hard. Run. Yeah. It's just crazy. Go ahead. Sorry, buddy. So, uh, all good. All good. So, um, so then I got back down to Florida. Um, and you know, it was the beginning of my recovery was so awesome. I, I had a crappy $800 Honda civic that aunt Donna helped me get. Um, my aunt lived in Florida. She, you know, she gave me the 800 to, uh, to get the car, which was huge. Um, it, uh, it gave me the ability to go to meetings. Uh, don't, what are you laughing at? <laughs> it gave me the ability to go to meetings. Um, it gave me the ability to, uh, go to the beach and, 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 you know, do like, I, I got no routine, right? Like I'd wake up, I'd go to the beach, I'd leave the beach, I'd go to the gym, I'd go to the noon meeting. And then I would go do whatever. And then I would go back to the nighttime meeting. Like that whole 90 and 90, I heard that. And like, I hated that listening to it all those years trying to get sober. But when I really did it for real this time, I did a 90 and 90 without even trying. I just, I just, I just surrounded myself with the right people. Um, and then eventually uh, I got a shot. My same friend that got me the scholarship uh, said, listen, you know, I, I need help. Uh, he ran all the sober livings in Port St. Lucie. Um, he needed somebody to help him doing nighttime rounds, figuring out if anybody was high in housing. And, uh, you know, so it was my job to drive around Port St. Lucie to seven different sober livings and check in on every night. And if I thought somebody was high or using, I'd have to breathalyze them. And if they were, we'd have to, you know, deal with that, which sometimes wouldn't stop till about five in the morning, you know, going to get somebody medically cleared or figuring out a bed for them. But, um, I finally found something that I enjoyed doing. Um, I got to, you know, I was 28 when I got to treatment and, and I was the old guy. Most people were 21, 22, 23. So I actually, even though I didn't have much more time sober than these kids, I had a little bit more life experience. And like some of them were, they weren't dealing with like massive recovery stuff. It was like relationship issues at home because they're in treatment and their girls not picking up the phone. And like, you know, I sit bedside with these kids and, 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 and talk to them and, and actually help them with stuff. And I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and that's kind of how I got started working in treatment. I did that for about a year. Um, and then, uh, I, I ran into a guy, uh, he was, he came to speak at the treatment center I was working at a guy named, uh, Jonathan Nolan. And, uh, he came out in a wheelchair and he rolled right up to me. Um, and for like, he had a purpose, like he had a reason to come up and talk to me. And we started talking and, uh, um, you know, we start sharing motivational stuff. And I had said something that Les Brown said, he said, you listen to Les Brown. I said, yeah, that's been a huge part of my recovery. I used to wake up every morning and put on some type of motivational video. And a lot of times it was Les Brown. He says, yeah, well you could train with him. Um, I said, what are you talking about? So Les Brown has a motivational speaking institute and it's in Fort Lauderdale. It's like an hour south. Um, and I found out about that. I got enrolled in the Les Brown Institute. Um, and I, I mean, I had no real, like, I didn't really think that I could go around the country speaking, but I, 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 I just, I wanted to do this. I wanted to meet Les Brown. I, I, I knew from speaking in meetings that like I, I was pretty okay at, at talking. Um, that's really where I learned how to speak was inside the rooms of AA. Um, so I went and just rolled the dice and see, you know, tried it. Um, I set, I heard him say in there that you got to set goals. You know, a big problem with Americans in general is not that we set uh, goals too big and miss. It's that we aim too small and hit. 
right? So we got to set these crazy goals. So I set a goal that I wanted to go back to my high school and I wanted to speak. And that was it. Um, I got back to my high school. I spoke. My, my, my wrestling coach brought me in. Uh, he shared it live on Facebook and it, it went kind of like mini viral, got like 50,000 views, got shared like 300 times. And by the end of the day, two more schools uh, had reached out and asked for me to go speak there. I did that. Um, and then I went to a conference and I met this guy named Michael DeLeon, who's got a program called Steered Straight. Um, I asked him like, hey, do you have any tips on how I can get into schools? And he said, why don't you just join me? I need speakers. And I was like, okay. And uh, that's where it all started. You know, I think two, two years ago, I started with Steered Straight. I did my first middle school. I did my first high school with him. After about five of them, he put me out on my own. Uh, I flopped the first time. First school I did, I lost, lost a whole junior, senior class. They were, I lost them. You know, when you have them and they're listening and when you lose them and they're all taught, I lost them, you know, but uh, I got better and better and better and better. Um, and now, you know, speaking in schools is, is probably my favorite thing to do. Um, you know, like, you know, you guys know that you're good on the motocross track and like, it's not ego to say that you're good at it because you enjoy it. You know what I mean? I know what I'm doing inside those schools. I know I'm just comfortable and I love it and I have a lot of fun doing it. And that's really been my, uh, my purpose, you know, Kevin, really talks to me a lot about what the mission and what the purpose is and being inside those schools is, is a huge part of my purpose. And the so last thing in those schools, yeah. <clears throat> what's the thing? Like, I, I really feel that that's good proactive uh, work in, in what we do because uh, you, you and I have had many, many conversations about uh, parenting is a big problem in our country. You know, like parents are getting high, parents are drinking in front of their kids a lot. Parents are not being good uh, role models, you know, for the addiction problem that we have in, in, in our country and, and the substance abuse and all the other issues that go with it. <clears throat> I, I love it because it's a really, it's like this perfect proactive work to get into to talk about, you know, I, I feel a lot of times it's, it's better to tell people what not to do than what to do, you know, and, and the talk about that, like talk about what you see in there and, and, and what's going on in middle schools and things like that. So the, this is the first generation that's really, I think, been affected by addiction as a child standpoint. Uh, a lot of these kids are being raised by their grandparents because mom and dad are either active or dead. Um, I did a school in Indiana and I had a kid, uh, I was walking around the schools afterwards and two of the kids thanked me. And the third kid was like, oh, I wish I was here today. I was like, oh, why, why, why weren't you here? And my, my mom died today. I was like, what do you mean your mom, your mom died today? Why are you here? Oh, well, I've been living with my grandmother. My mom overdosed last night. I haven't seen my mom in two years, but somebody texted me from her phone and said that she died last night. And I said, like, I'm like in shock. You know what I mean? Like, and she's like pretty calm and cool. I'm like, is this confirmed? She's like, no, it's confirmed. I have to go home and tell my grandmother. So like she got a text message in the morning that her mom had overdosed by the person that the mom was running with. She left the house, didn't even tell the grandmother and has to go home and break the news to the grandmother who is the mother of the woman that died. You know what I mean? Like it's insane. She had already learned how to turn everything off. Like she, she had already just yeah. learned how to just 
turn that off and and just deal with it logically and have no emotion and just yeah like, just going to school was 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 the best thing because it was like away from everything you know what i mean and it's yeah. that's the hard thing about this lockdown right now is there's a lot of kids where like that eight hours a day in school was like their getaway from real life at home you know it's just, you know, they, there's a stat out there phil and i, I think we've talked about it before <clears throat> that it's like in five years or between five and ten years there's a percentage that's outrageous. I, I can't remember right now. I, I didn't look it up before. We, we, I think I've told you guys this too, that there's going to be this high percentage of kids uh, that aren't going to have both parents in their life. And there's going to be a good percent, uh, a sad percentage that they're not going to have either parent. And, and you see more and more kids getting raised by grandparents and foster care. Do you, do you want to, my real guesstimate average per school of kids that come up to me? It's usually about four or five at each school. And so I'll get a group of kids that come up and it'll be like 10 or 15 and we'll all kind of chit chat together. The teachers have been awesome about letting the kids stay after and writing them passes. Um, and, you know, it's, it's usually about five of the 15 kids that come up. The situation is like, hey, I just want to let you know, like, this is my mom or dad that you remind me of. And thank you for, you know, under explaining some of the stuff that they don't understand. Because one of the things I explain to the kids is, you know, how your whole prefrontal cortex shuts off and you lose all rational thought. You're running on uh, survival brain and survival tells you to not be sick, which is why you turn your kids over to your grandparents just to go get high. It's, it's not yeah. even like they could even, you know, because you get these people sober and they fight to get their kids back once they can, you know, they have that part of their brain back, you know, and I think it's really important for these kids to hear that because they're hurting, you know, the one person that's supposed to love them the most is out running, you know, it's, it's really sad. And, and you know, every one of those in middle school is doing exactly what I did and other guys in here did at that. It's our fault. Like, yeah, always their fault and they caused it. And if they could have done something better and it's, it's just, uh, it's heartbreaking what, what kids are going through with substance abuse and because parents don't want to get it, don't want to get it together and they don't want to change, you know, it sucks. And, and, and me and Kevin had, have had a, a lot of talks about treatment and if treatment's working or if treatment's failing and, you know, like, you know, treatment worked for me, but I've seen it not work for a lot of people. And, you know, I get frustrated as somebody who works in treatment, especially when I lose uh, people that I, I, you know, I'm not a doctor, right? I help somebody, I help their family. They, you know, some of these kids become my friends. Uh, their families become part of my family and then we lose them and I have to, you know, go to their funerals and, and it kills me each time. And I get angry, I get frustrated and I want to quit a lot, you know? And uh, I think what keeps me going is these schools, you know, putting so much time into pre prevention, you know, like, yeah. uh, and, and I'm lucky, I'm lucky. Like, you know, my job is to help people get into treatment, but my, my company allows me to spend 80% of my time on the road doing prevention speaking. You know, it's, yeah. I, I really landed in a fortunate place as far as how I'm able to, work my real job and put so much effort into the schools because that's really what I think uh, feeds my soul and keeps me happy is really doing that. Well, it's just, a, it's the same as anything else, man. If you're reaching, if you're reaching one of those kids and making a difference and just, and just getting their attention to just to look at their situation and stop ignoring it and maybe start talking to people because I think that's the first step for kids 
you know, there was no way I was talking to anybody about what was going on in my parents' life or what was going on in my life. There's, there was no way I was going to go talk to somebody because of fear. So if you can get them to start opening up and, and start to allow uh, these kids to realize there's nothing to be shameful about, it's not their fault. And that's, that's amazing work, dude. And, and, and I, I love that you go do that stuff. And it's, it, uh, it's, and, and, you know, me and Kevin have talked about like, you know, getting Kevin into the schools. And I think one of the huge things is how we look, right. I come in with tattoos and I I'm clearly not a, not a teacher, right. Kevin comes in with his head tattoos. You're not a teacher, you know, and these kids, they don't want to talk to their teachers. They don't want to talk to the guidance counselors because everybody inside that school is a mandated reporter. If you say something where there's abuse in the home or there's something that these teachers have to report, they have to stop the conversation and call child protective services. And that's what every kid is afraid of, you know, and that's why the teachers love it because they know the kids can talk to me and, I don't have to, like, it could just stay between me and the kids. So, you know, what's really awesome is to see these counselors encourage the kids to come up and talk to me. What I did this year was I kind of like rolled the dice, right? I could see these kids, they wanted to talk, but I wasn't sure. Like they, they were like hesitant. So I put my Instagram information on on the back of the slideshow. And like, that was like, really like, I wonder if the schools are going to be like, Hey, don't do that. Or if they were going to be supportive. Uh, but they've been tremendously supportive, like to the point where the principal's like, hey, let me get a picture of that so I could hand it out to the kids later. But, uh, you know, I get like 100 follows per school and like 15 of them message me. And some of them are like, hey, you know, thanks for coming out. That was really cool. Uh, and some of them are like, hey, you know, like my mom is really in bad shape and like, I don't know what to do. Or like, hey, I'm glad you talked about cutting because I haven't cut for 30 days and I really, really want to cut. And you just started talking about people talking about cutting. And it's like, have you spoken to anybody about this? Like, no, you're the only one. I'm like, but I, I was there for an hour. You're like, yeah, I don't know what it is, but like, I feel like I could talk to you. It's connection. So, so it's, I've, I've had this in my face for about a month now. I've had certain issues. I've had some verbal alterca- altercations with people. You don't go in, and I'll explain why I've had those verbal altercations. You don't go into the school because most teachers are telling them, you know, to follow the rules and they're wrong and do this better and, and stuff like that. They're, they're not really, I don't know that teachers have the ability and, and I'm saying, I'm saying, I don't know because I don't, but you go in there and, and when you talk about what you talk about and you tell your story, right. And they know there's pain and they know there's substance abuse and they know there's some, there's a connection there to what their parents are doing. It's not the rules that are going to make them they're not scared of the rules. They're not scared of you judging them. Like they would, like, I'll tell you honestly, you know, every, you know, just everybody else, like I, I'm in, into studying the Bible right now and going to school for things like that. <clears throat> but what my problem is, is that I don't know how many churches out there people are willing to walk into a church to talk about pain because we're so quick to hit people over the head with a Bible and, or hit people over the head with the rules and well, this and this and this, and you're this, and you're going to be this. And the The, the first thing that we need to do is what you're doing. The hardest, the hardest thing to do sometimes going into these schools, because it's not Philip O'Hara's program, right? It's steered straights program. So I don't represent myself. I represent somebody else, right? The hardest thing I've had to do is bite my tongue at administrators that go in on kids, right? So most recently I went to a high school And I, it was a middle, I'm sorry, it was a middle school, right? We're talking about an eighth grade girl 
that had manicured uh, spiky fingernails, right? Um, and was like just throwing her head around with attitude at everybody. And like, I could see right through that. I could see at home, that kid's home life was painful and I could see it in 30 seconds. Whoever that kid's mom was, was just throwing money at the kid and the whole, I could just tell, right? So she says something to the principal and the principal's like, no, she needs to go. She needs to go. And I look at the counselor who knows. Her. I said, she's the one that needs to be here the most. And she's like, how do you know that? I was like, I could tell something's not home, right in her home life. And gave me the long story short. The mom was a mess, you know, worked as a dancer and just threw money at the kid. You know what I mean? And so I try to get in between the kid and the principal. I'm like, listen, she needs to be here. I walked up to the kid. I said, listen, for me, I know you don't like him, but for me, just, I need you to be here. So I need you to chill out. And I need you to give me your cell phone because that's what he wanted. He wanted her cell phone. She handed over her cell phone in a second. I walk over to the principal and I say, here, I got her phone. She's good. Please let her say. He says, no, you don't understand. You don't know the backstory. She needs to get out right now. And the hardest thing I was just to not go in on that guy in front of a hundred students because he had no, like, and, and I looked at the SAC counselor after he took her out. He said, she, she said, what did he say? I said that I don't know the backstory. And I literally just told the, the backstory to the girl. I'm like, her home life is a mess. And the, the lady was like, how did you know that? I'm like, cause I could just see the pain on her face. Yeah. You know? That's doing everything. That's, that's how we've lost in addiction. That's how we're losing with connecting with kids that are struggling. We're, we're losing in substance abuse in treatment centers because, because we, we don't have the, necessarily the time to connect or because the amount of people that are in one, one place and then in jails and institutions and prison. Nobody's connecting. We're not bringing people in from the outside to connect with people to say, look, I've been here. We've been here. This is what I did to get out of here and develop this rapport and this connection. It's just like being out at a restaurant. You can be out in a restaurant. We travel a lot. If we're traveling to Florida and I hear somebody over here say, I'm from Philadelphia or I'm from Reading, what do you do? You, you spin around and there's this connection like, hey, I'm from Reading too. We <laughs> love each other. You know, but we didn't love each other when we were in Reading. But like, you know, like you, you instantly have this connection. So it's, it, it's along the same lines. Like we like, we connect with people and then there, there, there's this bonding that happens that trust can happen and then communication can happen. What, what most people do, I think, with kids that have, a, have had a rough childhood, right, and they don't want to recognize that. They, they recognize the fact that mom and dad made mistakes and screwed up. But what they don't want to do is recognize that you can't hit them with the rule book right away. You can't say that this is what it says to do. And you can't have, have churchy people say, this is what the Bible says. And none of that works. And none of that works to, to do what, what we're supposed to do because we got to lead with connection and then lead, get some trust. Then there'll be love. Then the tough love can come in and you can be able to tell somebody, I can be able to tell Pat after I get to know him the truth. Because he's going to say, okay, this guy's not just shaming me or thinking he's better than me or doing whatever. He actually cares about me. So I, and he's done it and he's been there. And that's what I think we missed. We miss most in all those aspects in school. Um, you know, Father Bill, when I, when I was, um, when I got, when I got sober for the last time, I, I went to Karen Foundation and Father Bill actually snuck me in. I, I built this great relationship with Father Bill the whole time I was there. And um, he snuck me into these, these meetings afterwards. And, and these guys know this, but he pulled me aside and he's like, look, man, 
I'm, t- I'm going to bring you into this meeting with kids. You got to park over here uh, where all, everybody parks. I'm going to sneak you in the Karen foundation. Like this was sketchy, but it's father bill. He ran, if you've been there, you know, father bill ran the show. So he's like, you come in this time, I'll get you in. And I want you here for one reason. You've been to one meeting and, and half of those kids, when you left, asked who you were. And for one reason, because you've been where they've been, you know, and also the tattoos and the thuggy look. And so like, I learned to use this as like, okay, like I'm not being they're They're not going to think if I walk in with a suit, right. I mean, it's tough for me. I'd have to walk in with a snowsuit and booties and the, and the, the mittens and Phil would love that to just cover up all my stuff. But if, when you walk into these kids and these guys, I mean, what would you say? Like some dude walks into with this, you'd be like, mm, nah, where have you been? Like, have you been on this? Have you been homeless? Have you, have you done what I've done? Have you hurt the people I've hurt? Have you been down this road and, and, and kind of walked in my path? And, and that's where, instead of the degree is what I'm saying, we need people like Phil out there that are going to schools to talk about and connect with that with that kid. I'm not saying that the people with the degrees don't have a purpose because the people that want degrees will connect with the person that has the degree. Those kids that want to go to college and they want to go down that road and they are able to go down that road. It's cool. But we focus all this effort on trying to help people, but I don't think we have the right recipe at all. I think they're missing the boat with the recipe because it's, it's all about, you know, like what's your degree and when you go speak somewhere and, and what's this and, and uh, where's your evidence-based information, you know, pr- provide us with this evidence-based information. And I just had a meeting, I'll, I'll be straight and she might be listening here. So sorry. I had a meeting with Berks <laughs> County prison like months ago, right before the COVID thing. And she's like, well, where's your evidence-based information? I'm like, well, I hope this doesn't come off too arrogant, but I'm sure it's going to. Um, If I give you evidence-based information, it's evidence that has sucked miserably for the last 50 years. Like everything you want to see is what's failing. So why would I give you evidence-based information? Well, I'm going to try this. And all that evidence-based information is the stuff that's failing. It blows my mind, but everybody wants that. Everybody wants a degree and this evidence-based information on a program. Well, well, if you want exactly what you had, like, don't you just want to lose like you've been losing? And I, I made a couple waves and she's like, oh, I don't really think that, that we're really losing. And I'm like, well, you are, you know, like it, the, we have more jails and prisons and people in prisons in this country 10 times over any other country, you know? So like we're losing because we keep doing the same thing. And that's why I love what you're doing, man. You're connecting. It's all about the connection first. One of my favorite things, and this, you know, again, might upset some people, but I remember somebody asked me if I took the language training yet. Because <laughs> we, we don't say addict anymore. We see person in recovery and the language matters and this and that. And I was like, oh, yeah. They can announce no. every day. They can announce themselves every day. My name's Kevin. And I'm a drug addict. They can say that. Like, we, we really want you to say that about yourself every day, but don't call them an addict. Like, it's just. Yeah, you know, I'm supposed to introduce myself as a person in long-term recovery. You know what I mean? Like, no, I'm sorry. Like, I I understand the training and that you guys feel that it's really important. But, like, when you're, like, really in the trenches with people, none of that stuff matters in my opinion, you know? It matters where you've been and that that there's hope. They want hope, man. All those kids, all those kids, all those people that are in in, 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 uh, just any institution – that, and anybody that's in jail or prison, 
they want some hope. They want to know that hope. I've I've troubled like that. I've been through some sexual abuse, physical abuse. I've really screwed up. I've lost everything. I've given it all away. I've done those drugs. They want hope, and and that that isn't from a degree. And, and, well, and here's the other thing, right? Like the CQAR training or the Arise training or any of the trainings that I've done. You know, um, I, I, I've liked pieces of it, and I've taken a piece of that, and I've taken a piece of this, but like. Everything that you do, it becomes your own. Like you need to have your own way of doing stuff, you know, with, you know, some real guidance on and experience on what you do. But every time you do an intervention or every time you go through something like I've made mistakes, right? Like I have, uh, I was trying to help one of my clients and, and like I said something about like his girlfriend not keeping him sober, but like I used like the mini skirt, like that mini skirt ain't going to keep you sober. And like, that was not the right thing to say at that time. And that kid wanted to fist fight me right then and there. And like, I knew what I said and I kind of had to back it up because in his head, it was me checking out the girl, not like coming from the place of love, which, right. uh, you know, where it was, but like that kid went and overdosed and died like a month later. And that was the last conversation I had with him. And like that, you know, like you learn, you know what I mean? Like that was not the right thing to say, but I freaking learn from it you know what i mean but like the longer you do this the more you figure out what works what doesn't work and you know and oh, dude we've we've adjusted i mean there's guys here that have that have had this program adjusted while they're here right we we if you don't keep adjusting to what's going on like that would mean that there's some type of script or treatment plan there there is no set treatment plan for each one of these guys in here it's impossible we all have a different thumbprint there is no way that what's going to work for him is going to work for him is going to work for me you it's just no. we have to keep adjusting we have to keep trying but we can't keep doing it's funny in recovery there's that what's the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different result but yet we keep doing it in recovery. <laughs> we keep doing the exact same thing. We give people this, this AA book or this NA book that's been around for 75 years, right? Or whatever it is, okay? And, and we're not doing anything to adjust that. And I feel like, I feel like straight up, and I know a lot about the program. I was in it for six years straight hardcore, and I, I'd been in it before. Uh, I've read that book cover to cover 50 times. I would think, I'll tell you right now, I think Bill would want us to adjust to what's going on. I, I truly believe that I, I know a lot about that dude. You're not talking about a dude. You might not know in the book, like he tried some seriously crazy stuff for people in recovery. Like he was, he was doing, taking LSD treatments, right? Like everybody, nobody wants to talk about that stuff. Everybody wants to talk about what's in the book. And Bill W was, was, was on LSD to try to get more spiritual connection, you know? So I don't think that he would have just wanted that book to be the way it is and nobody do anything else. Nobody try anything else with what's going on with heroin, meth, everything. I mean, I, I know that guy was amazing. A hundred percent. Like at times I think he was a prophet because of the things he wrote in the short amount of times he wrote. But I, I, I also believe that he would have wanted people like us to come together to adjust what's going on because that alone to me, uh, for this generation from, from 35 and under, um, the stuff that's out there isn't working real well. So there, we have to have different things, man. We can't tell people like, hey, go ahead, keep, just, just drink a little more and find, you know what I mean? Like, obviously you haven't hit your bottom yet. Just go drink a little more. Like, that's not a thing anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because they just go out and die. I mean, that's right. I, had, I, I had two very good friends die in the last uh, year um, 
One was a year ago last week, one-time use after, after a year of sobriety, one-time use out. And then another friend who uh, helped a lot of people in the seven years he was sober, helped a lot of people. Um, had a relapse, ran for 30 days and died after seven years, you know, and it's just not the same. It's not the same. You know, I was talking, I, 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 I'm fortunate enough to talk to him, uh, before he passed when he was, you know, he had like a, he was doing a little better and he, you know, he didn't try fentanyl seven years ago cause it wasn't around, you know, and now this was his first experience with fentanyl. He's like, dude, you're either picking yourself up off the ground or saying like that didn't work and I need more like there's no middle ground there's no like oh I'm high it's like I need to shoot more fentanyl or like yo like how long have I been awake you know how long have I been out you know well I I bet you in the last six months dude I've explained to people the truth about fentanyl that don't understand it like everybody's looking for fentanyl like they're not they're not surprised that there's fentanyl in the bag they know exactly what the two different colors are they want the white (laughs) <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, and, and like, I've been, I've dealt with a couple of kids that are like, yeah, no, no, no. I don't shoot heroin anymore. I snort fentanyl. That's it. Like, they, they, people, don't, like, people don't get the fact that that heroin isn't doing the job anymore because they, they don't still afraid of overdosing and dying with snorting fentanyl. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they want, they want fentanyl. They like that. If, if you don't have that, they're kind of pissed. You know what I mean? So, um, it's, uh, it's important that you get to these kids, man, because I, I tell this to parents when I'm at the track and sometimes we preach at the track uh, and talking to them is like, hey, like, you don't know what you got in that 14 year old. Like, you don't understand. You think your kid's great. He's a little hyper and it's this and that. But you don't know that he's not watching you take every, you know, you go to the track and, and a lot of people are drinking. A lot of people are smoking weed. Like, you need to watch what you're doing. Like if you're just going to just, just going to hand that kid a beer to try it, or you're going to just be smoking weed around them every single weekend. Like you may not think that's anything, but he thinks something of it. She thinks something of it. Like you don't know how that's going to react with their makeup, like, or what they're running from right now, or what they're going to use it for as an escape. So I tell them all the time, like, dude, like wake up, be a little bit more careful with your kids. Like stop, Stop drinking and, and, and drugging around your kids. Like, With whether, your kids. Whether you, yeah. Well, that's a, that's a decent amount. It's not just that, but it's the people that, like, we wonder why we have this craze of addiction. Well, we have parents everywhere that are drinking four or five times a week to excess in front of their kids. I mean, we talked about it in here. The and guy, handing them a tablet to entertain themselves. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, the, and the crazy part is, is that we're wondering why they're following in your footsteps. What are you talking about? Like, we go to the track and, and, and we've talked about this. A lot of parents take their kids to the track because they want to party. I mean, I'm telling you, Loretta's is full of people. Loretta's is full of people that are there. And like when their kids didn't make it to Loretta's, it's like, they, Oh my, I'm not going to get to go party for 10 days. What am I going to do now? You're laughing because it's true, Jesse. Like they, they like, they, they, they fold and their whole plan was to take their vacation at Loretta so they could be around every, and I'm not being judgmental. I'm concerned about the next generation. So if I'm, you think I'm judging you too bad, like maybe look in the mirror, you can't keep drinking and to excess and keep smoking weed and smoking cigarettes in front of your kids, around your kids, with your kids, because I'll tell you right now, man, doing it in front of them excessively to me is pretty close to doing it with them. You know, because uh, that well, I mean, 
there was a when I was in high school, the like the responsible parent thing to do was to let the kids drink at the house and take the keys from everybody. But like go buy buy the alcohol for everyone, take the keys and facilitate the party at the house so you're not getting arrested in the woods because they all got arrested in the woods. And now the cops today are even worse because they used to get brought home and now we actually go to jail. So we'll just let them drink here, you know, and it it was uh, it was just what happened. You know what I mean? My whole high school career, we were drinking at our houses. You yeah. know, my house was a great party house. We had some really awesome parties at my house. Yeah. And, and it's not that anybody's doing this on purpose, but what you don't know, you don't know. Yeah, nobody knew. Nobody knew, you know what I mean, what it was at the time, you know, and but... And I'm not saying that this is on... Like I said, like, we're not saying that people are doing this maliciously or... or I'm telling you out there... People need to wake up to what's going on. You know, we, we want to, we're, parents are cool about talking about this generation of entitled, like all these kids are so entitled, like all this and that. And I'm, I keep saying like, you raised them dummy. Yep. You You're the about? one that's, that's calling the teachers to yell at the teacher for what your kid is doing, right. but right. your kid's entitled. Okay. One thing my mom did great was she was like, you know, if he, he gets out of line, just slam his head right off. Dude, coach Nooch had full reign to slap. I was sleeping in math class, sleeping, and yep. it went silent. So I was like half asleep, half not. And I remember thinking like, wait, why is it quiet? And I got smacked in the face and I raised my head and I was like, what the F? And because I cursed, I looked, it was Coach Nooch and he slapped me again. So now I'm holding my face. I got slapped twice. He walks out of the room and my algebra teacher was like, so do I need to call the guidance counselor or the principal? And I was like, for what? My mom told him to do that. You know, like, no, nobody, no, no, we're good. <laughs> I'm not saying that that's, that's the answer. Jake, did you want to say something? I'm not saying that that's the answer either. I'm just saying that parents outside of teachers, parents need to start looking at what they're doing, not what they're saying, but what they're doing. Because I was really good. I had this line for all my kids back in the day. Don't do as I do, do as I say. I actually would say that all the time. Like, it's not do as I do, it's do as I say. That's impossible. That's the dumbest thing I said ever to my kids. And, and I'm, I'm ashamed of it, you know, but it's, it's, it's really cool for, for me to uh, uh, hear that you're working with kids. Go ahead, Jake. I'm sorry. Oh, I just wanted to touch base with what you guys are talking about with the, the families at the motocross track. Me and, me and Bo worked um, a qualifier for Loretta's for the kids one. Mm -hmm. and the parents were just straight up like it was unbelievable the whole weekend they yeah. were out of control yep. like and then you got kids that are already into like extreme sports like we talk about mm -hmm. and the adrenaline of it and then watching their parents and growing up around their parents being like that it's like that's a recipe for disaster oh dude you know they, they don't get it though they don't, they don't understand yeah, yeah. that just what you said you said something really good like that that adrenaline based sport and you're already into that dopamine and that's what drugs and alcohol are like you got it. And that's why, you know, I got my first time to speak was Daytona like three years ago. The MXers for Jesus is like, Kevin, do you want to speak? And you know me, I get up there and I'm like, y'all need to pay attention to what you're doing. And everybody's like, just looking at me. And I'm like, and I said, you don't know what you got. Like stop getting high around your kids. Like they know at 12 years old, what that smells like. Like you're not hiding anything. But I remember being that man i remember mixing my drinks and thinking like this there's nothing wrong when i was drinking and partying and drinking and partying like thinking that they just you know at 12 at six even at six seven years old well she don't know any better like bull crap like they know that it's wrong and and whatever i'm doing like 
I can just expect for that to, to happen again. So it's, it's cool, man, that you're getting to get in there and connect with those kids. And um, I'm proud of you for it, buddy. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm not, I don't know that I'm proud about Can you explain that seat behind you and yeah. uh, what that is on, online? This yeah. is actually called an e-sports chair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is my video gaming chair. Oh, I, I can call Phil at times and um, I'll be like talking to him and – and I'll hear in the background, like, hold on a second. He'll, he'll put me on holding. All right, get that guy over there. All right, shoot. Shoot that guy. I'm like, dude, call me later. Like, this is really weird, man. <laughs> it's your escape, though, right? It's, it's a, it's your little, little downtime thing. Right? Yeah, it's, it's been uh, – so I haven't played video games in a long, long time. I mean, I was doing drugs. Like, who needs video games? You know what I mean? And, uh, and my girl started nursing school, so she was studying a lot. And – I was, I, I just needed something to do. So I bought uh, Call of Duty and I started playing it uh, uh, when I got home from work. And, you know, it's just something to shut my brain off, you know, because sometimes I get home, it, like I'll leave the house and do a school. I'll, I'll leave it like 530. I'll do a school. I'll finish by like 11 and then go make phone calls and then I'll get an intervention and then more phone calls. And I was getting home at like 10, 11 o'clock at night. And I still had the urge to pick up my phone and make a phone call. And it's like, who could I call? It's like 1030 at night. And it was just, uh, it just was, I just needed something to just be able to shut my brain down for a little bit. And uh, yeah, it's been video games. Coffee Kevin, Kevin hasn't uh, made, stopped making fun of me ever since. What, what time do I drink coffee till? Did you drink coffee till that day? That's what I would like to know. Uh, so it usually starts... You know, uh, you can't start with espresso because there's nowhere to go from, you know what I mean? You can't start all the way up, right? So I, I usually my first cup of coffee, maybe a second one. When I leave the school, I'll do a triple shot of espresso. Okay. Um, and then around four. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that you couldn't sleep. It's really weird. No, no idea why. No, <laughs> I think it was, the, I think it was the six o'clock rock star. I don't know. <laughs> All right, buddy. I've gotten better. I'm proud of you. Keep doing what you're doing in the schools. I think this was great. Uh, I think you, uh, you keep you keep talking to those kids and 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 let's do some of that together, man. I, I would. Yeah. And uh, but before we wrap this up, I just want to say something, right? So, uh, you know, I met Kevin three years ago at Daytona, and you know, we've developed this really awesome friendship. And I think something that's really important about recovery is learning that a lot of your own all of your own problems are of your own making, right? And when I'm really twisted up and I can't see my part in why I'm twisted up, uh, Kevin is one of the guys that I call. Um, and, you know, I've really designated him as somebody that I truly trust with my life. And I could call Kevin and I'm like, and it's and the, the phone calls are great because it's like, yo, so are you ready to destroy me right now? And he's like, why, what? And I'm like, what's wrong because this this and this and then he'll tell me how selfish I am and how much ego I have and he just tears me down but like if I was uh you know this is what we were talking about earlier like if you just led with that I would have been like this guy's an asshole yeah. but I developed a relationship with Kevin to trust him that like I, I I literally call him so he'll go in on me so I could figure out what's wrong with myself and what I could fix because I can't fix other people I can fix myself 
So I think what's really been important for myself personally and anybody else, especially the guys in that room is like finding somebody, maybe more than one. I have like four of them that I could call about different things to, you know, I call to get lit up. You know what I mean? And that's the, the truth, no matter how it hurts. Yeah, t- that's it. And, and that's why I'm calling is because I need to hear the truth because I need to hear that so I could fix my shit because I don't want to I don't want to go back. To, I don't want to be I the whole point is we sucked. That was it. I sucked and I don't want to suck anymore. And, and now that I it's like getting red pilled in the Matrix. Once you know how bad you sucked, it's like you can't go back. Like it's you know what I mean? So we constantly have to get better. And there's like just like fighting and wrestling. Right. There's always somebody out there that could beat you. Right. Like there's, you could always improve. This is, this is the same thing. Like you could always get better at this, whether it's being focused, you know, on my job too much or focused too much on, on just whatever. Like even the video games have become unhealthy at certain times. You know what I mean? Like you guys just need to have people in your lives like Kevin that you can trust and talk to. And that's all I got. Now you can make fun of me. Go ahead. I can see it on your face that you want. Oh no, I'm going to Yeah. And, and you do a lot of that for me. Don't think, don't think you don't. I don't think that there isn't like maybe once or twice a year that I call you and you'll say something smart. So uh, <laughs> about 30 seconds out of the year. No big deal. I appreciate you brother. And, and as always, I love you, man. Uh, love you too, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Oh, uh, so next week we're, we're going to do it for the kids at that adolescent treatment center, right? Yeah, I'm on. I'm in. All right. Thank you. Later, man. Thanks. Later. So that was cool. That was, that went a little different, uh, than I thought it would go. Like you guys know that I don't prep anybody for these shows and I don't want to, uh, I don't want anybody to kind of know where, what, what direction we're going. But he's he's from your area, you know that. Yeah, he wait. You you wanted to call him up, or what, you you wanted to wrestle him, or what was it? I saw you eyeballing him there every once in a while, little Joe. Huh? Were you ready to fight? No. <laughs> All right. Does anybody want to say hi? Get the camera so everybody can wave. We had a uh, we had a great great last couple days. I'm proud of all these guys. The farm is kicking. We're having a we're having a blast. We're gonna get training this week. I can't wait to get these guys on the track. I can't wait to make them run hills, push ups, sit ups. I can't wait to see somebody throw up from effort. Love that part. What are you are you gonna be? Are you gonna get involved in this? Kevin? No? <laughs> You're going to. All right, y'all. Next time I see you, it'll be Wednesday. This was the In the House podcast, Soul Constructors. Thank you all for tuning in, and we love you. Peace. Hey, get, get the gun show before we get one more gun for us. Come on. Later, y'all. Peace. But he don't have much to say.